Set yourself a New Year goal, they said. It'll be fun. <sighs> Perhaps swimming in the Irish Sea wasn't such a good idea. Set a more achievable goal, like taking control of your finances with personalised money insights in the Bank of Ireland app. It'll help keep track of your spending, like changes to bills, or you might have too many subscriptions. See your tailored money insights, because your financial well-being is our priority. Bank of Ireland. Begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Terms and conditions apply. Great. There goes my towel. The Left Wing, brought to you by Bank of Ireland, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. Never stop competing. This is an Irish independent podcast. They were O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is cutting back inside! Let's have another! Darcy O'Driscoll oh. through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, stamp and score! Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie Rugby Podcast. I'm Will Slattery and I'm delighted to be joined for our look back on Ireland's historic Test Series win in New Zealand by Luke Fitzgerald and Rory O'Connor. And Rory, now it's been a couple of days since that third Test victory in Wellington. What impressed you most about how Ireland went about their business over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, it's hard to pick one thing, isn't it? I mean, the first 20 minutes, they didn't, they started really well and then gave New Zealand loads of ins, but, but defended really well dealt with everything they threw at them, which wasn't an awful lot. And then they clicked into gear and that attacking shape that they brought, the, the, the slickness of their passing, the accuracy, the way they won big moments across the game. You know, the first try comes from a Josh van der Feer turnover. The second one, I think, comes from James Ryan putting the line out under pressure. Then the second half, when New Zealand get on top of them and when they're playing through them and on top, when, when they're all over Ireland, it's, you know, the calmness during the 10 minutes when, when Andrew Porter's in the bin, you know, taking the points, making the right decisions. It's Ty Byrne just doing one thing after another to win the game. It's Joey Carberry coming up with an intercept. Um, I'm leaving incidents out, but it's it's the fact that I think the most impressive thing really for me is that when New Zealand got on top of them, and we've all seen this film before, where, you know, New Zealand get a roll on, they start looking like New Zealand again, and Ireland just fall away because they're, they're so good at what they do. And Ireland were able to rest momentum in the game back. And that's, I think, what they will take the most satisfaction from. Um, they were... Legit, when Jordan ran the length of the pitch, they could have they could have got on holidays then. Like they could have easily gone. This isn't going to be our day, and they didn't. And that I think is a testament to all of the development we've seen from them over the last couple of months and maybe a year and a half, really. Yeah, even at the in the second test when the Allbacks struck just before halftime to make it ten seven after Ireland missed so many chances. Another moment where you thought if the open performance anxiety was still rocking around there, that it could be a moment where the All Blacks maybe go on top. Luke, from your perspective, anything else that jumped out to you or anything you want to piggyback on from what Rudd said in terms of things that really impressed you over the last, you know, two, three weeks? Yeah, I thought they were brilliant. Like, I just thought I was so pleased for them. Um, you know, it's, it's such a massive achievement for us to, to go down there and win the series. I think before we left, I thought one win uh, was probably achievable and would have been a brilliant result. But to win the series, I don't think anyone saw that. And then I think the Mary game as well was was seriously pleasing. Um, you know, I think we've probably discovered, uh, you know, a few very important things out there, uh, which we'll probably get into in terms of personnel, probably not for, for this comment, um, but certainly for, for later on in the show. Um, and I look, I think that game plan is that that's where we have to live. You know, I think our challenge is still going to be dealing with big packs. Your France, you know, your South African, possibly in England, you might have in there. Maybe not currently, but um, that's still our biggest challenge. I think I think New Zealand, actually, funnily enough, um, is it's a game. I, I, I'm actually the more I think about it, the more I think it's actually a game that I think we're trying to play that game. I think it suits us better. Um, I think it's, a, you know, we're a pretty smart team. We, we generally are a pretty smart team, but I think our skills are actually really good too. Like I think, um, you know, for, for large parts of that series, I thought we played the vastly better rugby. You know, I think we, um, you know, I, I think they kind of lived off mistakes for a lot of their stuff. Some of their, some of their tries were very good, but like they were kind of raggedy mistakes. But I still think that we have a little bit of a tendency to compound mistakes. That's something that I think that they, it was good to see that happen in the first test, maybe a little bit, but, I, I don't know. I felt like when we were focused and calm and for large portions of most of the most of the games, uh, we need to we just need to trust that game plan. I think playing against New Zealand actually suits us. I think playing a fast game, playing an open game of rugby 
is something that we shouldn't be fearful of. We should, when we see a game opening up, we, we could really open up any team in the world if it gets fast. Um, so that's probably my, my, my thoughts on that at the moment. I still would be concerned about coming up against a France or a South Africa, but I think New Zealand, um, as things currently stand, uh, not that fearful of coming up against the likes of them in the World Cup. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how New Zealand go up against South Africa in a couple of weeks' time. They play back-to-back games in South Africa to start off the rugby championship, and then obviously Ireland play them again in November. So, yeah, that kind of matchup versus what Ireland had to face in New Zealand will be an interesting thing. Rod, one thing that also jumped out is just how Ireland started each test. Like, the score try to kick things off in all three games against the All Blacks is just so unbelievably impressive. Like, what do you make of that way that they started off in each of the games? Yeah, it reminds me of during the 2018 season when Ireland used to go into overdrive just before halftime, just before and just after halftime, but particularly they used to, pretty much most of the games in that Grand Slam season, they scored in first half injury time. Like, and often with 23, 24 phase, you know, plays where they just stayed patient and forced away over. And it just became this trademark of this team and something they could rely on that they would step it up in that, in that period. And to come out first and score first in every game, is a great thing to have in your locker. Like we saw winning, like you think of the 2019 opening game of the Six Nations when Man Anu scored. Can't remember the amount of seconds he scored in, but the, uh, not Matt, yes, yeah, sorry, not Man Anu, Manu Tulagi, obviously, uh, scored within about two minutes of the kickoff. And England just started like a train and just knocked Ireland's momentum for an entire season, really, because England just backed it up. Obviously, Ireland didn't back it up in the opening test, but it still laid down a foundation for where, what they were going to, to were, were going to do over the game. And I know this week they scored four minutes in from a rolling mall. But it was the first minute they could have scored if Omani's pass had stuck. If Bowden Barrett hadn't tracked back, I think this is third intercept in three games. Really, you know, like an impressive ability to show up in the right place at the right time. Um, but the way that they flowed right from the off, the way Doris, you know, they've obviously figured out that the all-back props can tackle, which is an incredible thing to think in this day and age that the team we all thought was one of the best in the world has two players in the pitch who are so bad at a fundamental aspect of it. But anyway, that's Ireland's analysis spotted that and exploited it. Doris steps past, they flow through and right from moment one, they're on it. So you think the training's obviously been very good. The mental preparation's been very good. They've, they've, they've timed everything right. They haven't got too much, you know, their, their, their clarity from the moment one is, is right on it. So they haven't got overly amped up in the dressing room. And you think Farrell is a bit of a thumb up in coach in our minds. If you watch the Lions videos and stuff, but no, they've got the, They've just got it right on, and they've got it really right for three weeks in a row over the course of a season of a series. Like that's a really great thing to have in your locker. Lucky you're not going to do it every game. You know, you're not you're not necessarily going to be able to rely on it. But when you can produce your best from minute one, I think it gives you an awful an, an awful advantage over teams. Yeah, there were so many good individual performances at the weekend, and you know, in Dunedin as well in the second test. Who were the guys for you that really stood up over the last couple of weeks? Um, I, I thought Byrne got an awful lot of plaudits and he was brilliant, um, particularly at the end of the, the third test. Uh, some really important kind of interjections. Um, but it was quite clear to me the best player on both teams um, was definitely still Josh van der Fleer. Uh, to my mind, he was unbelievable. Like everything he touched slowed down the ball just a half a second sometimes. Just, you know, what, you know that little bit. Or it, I, I lost count of how many times he actually ripped the ball out of someone's hand and it cost him like he didn't always get a turnover per se from it on the stats but you know it was like a messy delivery back to a nine who then knocked it on or it came off a New Zealand foot of a rooker who was coming in I just thought everything he did and I saw some was it uh, 62 tackles only one missed against New Zealand like you know he's coming up against first centers Artie Sevilla guys like that who are you know pretty difficult to take down. Probably Bowden Barrett quite a bit he was coming up against. You know, that you think just think about who a seven comes up against a lot. And just, he was so accurate. He looked like he was tireless in his work as well. Um, and he looked like he was really able for the physical battle with everyone. There was no one there that I thought, geez, Josh looks a little bit outmatched, which maybe previously I always thought maybe he kind of maybe went low a little too early. And if you go low too early and you go off your feet, it can be body weight on body weight. I don't think he's doing that anymore. I think his, his tackle technique is brilliant. He's staying on his feet, which allows him to, you know, maneuver guys around, attack the ball, which stops people driving, but it also allows him to drive his feet. Um, and of course, we always have been talking about his, his carrying, and that was brilliant. But I just thought the defensive stuff was off the charts, and he really dug the team out of a few tight um tight periods with like just lots of really like you know plus half you know plus half a meter plus a meter of every single you know impact he had in the game he was just outstanding i thought 
Um, look, Johnny's still unbelievably important. Like, that's nothing new. He was brilliant. Um, and you know what I liked a lot? I read, I thought there was a few things just that I, I, I'll pass on to Rhodes now a second because I'm sure there's a few guys he wants to talk about. I, I will say Sheehan, but I thought that, that Hansen's pass... Um, you know, those kind of things. I thought Bundy Aki was brilliant over there, but like any any game he played, he was outstanding. But the passing ability of, of all the guys, it really opens you up. And I would feel like we pro- they probably because you're able to pass the ball so well with so many people in this Irish team, it means you can kind of find those props. I don't think you can really plan to find them in open play. Like if you see it happening in the first three phases of like a off after a line out or a scrum, you kind of say, Okay, they've targeted that. But I would say Ireland just find these guys and they can really expose you because everyone can pass the ball. And you see the difference between, I thought, the last two tests against you see, and even the first test, because we got held up five times in the first test too. But the difference down here was that, I think, look, I think France's defense is better than New Zealand's anyway. But against France, we overran it so much. We actually had loads of opportunities in that French game, if you remember. Now, I know they were on top generally, but they held their depth beautifully and everyone was an option for the ball carrier all the time. It's so hard to defend that. They can make really good defenders look really average. Uh, and that's what I loved about this Irish team. And to pick one, it's Van der Fleer was, was my, was my man of the series. Yeah. Rod, like just on Van der Fleer, like I'm trying to think of someone who's gone from, you know, after playing for a couple of years and just taking their game then to a world-class level from being a good player to a really world-class player. It's hard to think of someone who's made such a drastic jump. He's European player of the year. Could well be nominated for world player of the year if he keeps up this sort of form line. Like, what have you made of that transformation? Like, he was absolutely phenomenal in the last couple of weeks, but generally just how he's raised his game. I'm trying to think of someone. I'm just maybe Johnny Sexton was around for maybe a year or two and then ended up becoming one of the best players of all time. Like, that's a pretty... You know, drastic jump, I suppose. But, you know, what have you made of Josh's transformation? That's incredible. It's incredible because I remember he first burst on the scene and he he was never mapped in the same way as other players. And, and you know, he always, he's the same age as Levy, I think, or he's in a similar age bracket as, as Levy. And Levy was always the one. And even when Levy got injured and Josh was playing, we often pined for Levy in the days where Ireland or Leinster were beat up that we thought, you know, that that, that, that while Josh van der Feer always gave you this, this, and this, he couldn't give you that extra bit because he just didn't have that meanness. He's the nicest guy in this, like I've come across in rugby, one of them anyway, like to interview him is an absolute pleasure. He's really mannerly. He's, it seems really genuine with him as well. He's, he, I remember he was, he was, he, you know, he'd always front up for media and he, he kind of, he, he, he turned up in the mix zone after the All Blacks defeat in the World Cup and like his face was just mangled. Like he was, he was an embodiment of what happened to Ireland that day and you're just going, at the time, I would have said, and I, I'm happy to admit that I was wrong, and I'm, I'm delighted he has proved me wrong, but I would have said Ireland are not going to be able to match these teams physically with Josh van der Fleer as their seven because I didn't think he had. And that I thought he was too nice in some ways, and he, he's managed to do it without ever becoming a, a, a dickhead. Like he's, he's kind of still got that to him, but when he goes between the white lines, he's never nasty. His tackle technique is unbelievable, but he's hits with absolute venom. His carry is, he's weaponized his carry game, as we probably talk about every week on this podcast this year. And he has gone to a level where it's hard to think of a number seven in the game that's better than him. And, and like, can I ask? Can I, the, the great thing, Rhodes, as well, to tie in with your point on the on the discipline, I think is I, it's such a good point you make because I think you know, or not the discipline. Sorry, that's where I was going with it. But I think the nice guy thing has really played to his strengths because if you look at New Zealand, like I mean, the discipline really did cost them a lot. I think it's a great asset for him because uh, for 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 Ireland that they can have someone who is so so committed. And nearly that kind of squeaky clean personality, like it kind of ties in with that discipline. I don't know if you do. You, do you feel that way about it? You know now. Well, he doesn't like you. You think of all the great. What we expect from a great number seven is almost someone who gets on the wrong side of refs and chases it and pushes the envelope a little bit. And I, I struggle to think of really any examples of him doing that. Like he's not. You know, McCall was never you know that nasty, but he always like you know he always pushed the envelope when it came to. The, the, the rules of the game or the laws of the game. He was always, you know, he, he, he was he was cynical when he needed to be cynical. I can't even think of like Van der Fleer like that. Like he just, he just brings so, like, you know, he brings so much energy to it, you know, and it's it's, it's positive all the time and it's positive for his team. It's never negative. He very, very rarely, you know, steps in and, and does a negative play against the opposition. He's always just bouncing up off the ground, making a double hit. It's just relentless positivity. For He must be a, a, a joy to play with. Because you always know he's going to show up. Well, though. I think a joy I, to train. Like I, see, I feel like he's, do you know, you look at someone like you have to have great belief 
to be such a good player at the highest level in sports, I think you have to have a great belief in yourself. But I, I think he must be a joy to coach because he's really humble too. You know, I, I think it's actually genuine with him. I think he genuinely is always hungry to learn. I remember watching him as a young player. Like, he really listened. Do you know one of those guys who's really listening to you? Uh, I really felt like that. And it's such a strength for you if you can actually really listen and then tie that in with an inner belief that you don't, you know, you don't have to show everyone that you're, you don't have to be showy with your belief. You know, it's hard not to be sometimes, but I think he's not like that. And I think he marries the two really well because he can kind of put into into practice those things because he's humble and listening, but because he has great belief too. Uh, that would be, I think that's how he's made this kind of crazy jump or well, maybe not crazy jump, but you know, certainly it's been incremental, hasn't it? It's it's been every yeah. every year he's got like he's he's you know he's an example to players. I mean, it's, it's a kind of cliche thing, but he he just shows what hard work and application can. Like he's obviously got a lot of physical attributes that he's you know he, he's carrying with him, and but you know he's come Super from fit. you know Super he's not fit. come from one of the big traditional schools. He's he's worked. He wasn't you know flagged as a superstar in in the academy. And yet every time, he, you know, I remember playing for UCD, he shot, he stood out. I mean, he's an advertisement for red scrum caps because he always, it does help. Then he starts making appearances for Leinster. He gets thrown in that bat game. You know, we all know the story at this stage, but every time he stepped up a level, he, he impressed. But I did think there was a ceiling and he has smashed that, smashed right through it. He's gone way beyond wherever I ever thought he could go. And and it's it's so impressive. And it's a testament to his coaches, you know, the, the people who've, but he's obviously, as you say, very coachable. It's really just a testament to him and, and his, um, you know, his determination because he's had serious injuries along the way. He like, you know, he had a serious knee injury the year to win the Grand Slam. He got injured in the first um, half against France, if I remember correctly. So, you know, it's not, it hasn't all been playing sailing from either. Yeah, it's funny when you mention his kind of nice personality or polite personality. He was interviewed on Sky right after the game and he was almost like, too nice and polite to be like jubilant and boisterous after the game. He was just, he wouldn't have thought they had just beaten the All Blacks. He was just giving such a kind of a, a measured uh, interview after the game. Rudd, another guy who had a huge game and probably a very important game for his career, considering the last couple of years or last year from James Ryan had a you know really disruptive game. And even reading the quotes afterwards, um, how he kind of acknowledged that his confidence took a bit of a knock after, you know, his form and his concussion issues. And he's saying to build back up the confidence after those kind of things was, was, was tricky. But it was it was a big day for him. What do you think that will do for him? Because even I heard you speaking after the first test and you mentioned that you thought maybe Ireland's game plan doesn't really suit him or didn't really suit him potentially, which I thought was a valid point when you when I heard you making it potentially. But thought he had a very good game at the weekend. What do you think that could do for him? I mean, we all know how good he can be because we've seen it, you know, and we saw it so clearly when he was an under 20, when he first burst onto the scene with Leinster. And it's definite that he's dipped in the last two years. I think it's 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 undeniable, and and that's partly because the expectation level that he set himself with. I mean, how long did he go without losing the game for Leinster or Ireland? You know, he achieved so much in that first year, and then one start things started going against him. When your tight five is being beaten up in the biggest games, and you are supposed to be the leader of that tight five, that's got to knock you. And and you know how many times did he chase the Toje around the pack and park, and he just couldn't get a hold of him in Saracens games and those biggest games. And then he has the head knocks as well. And we don't know, you know, how that's affected his confidence. And like, you know, in a physical sport, if you doubt yourself, how is that going to manifest itself? We'll ne- we won't know that until he writes an autobiography, I'd say. So, and he's fully aware. I mean, these players, players will say they don't read stuff and everything, but people send them WhatsApps. People are aware. Like every time he gets selected for Leinster or Ireland at this stage, there's, there's people who will like, you know, he's part of that clutch of players now who people will respond to negatively on social media. And, you know, that will, that will feed into him as well. Cause they're all aware of that as well. So, he came on this tour on the back of La Rochelle, on the back of the Bulls, um, probably low on confidence. Certainly, he, even his Instagram post um, today when he came home was like, hasn't been the easiest couple of years, but this was worth. This was what it was worth. And in the, in the first game, he wasn't great either. So, you know, if Ian Henderson had been fit, there'd be a legitimate calls for him to be to be taken out of the team and maybe put in the bench and revise his role. I mean, subtly, Andy Farrell seems to remove the vice captaincy from him as well because Peter Romani took over in that first test when Sexton went off. It wasn't Ryan, whereas Ryan captained them in, in Paris. You know, that seems to have moved around a little bit, although Ryan was playing a leading role on the pitch during the weekend as well. So I thought he was very good in the second test. I thought he showed his passing range in the second test, which we haven't always seen from him. Now, it was part, it was the, you know, it was part of that shape where he's pulling it back. It wasn't identifying a four on two and throwing the pass that needs to be thrown, which at times he's missed out on at Leinster. I think in, in certain games, I've seen him just bite in rather than give the pass that needs to be given. And you wonder whether, it, given the way they're playing now, 
um, he can sustain that. He's got to add that to his, his, his game. But I thought his defensive line at work was exceptional. I thought his tackling was really good on Saturday. I thought he, he, he a couple of really key interventions when one or two, I think it was on Jordan and, and one or, another of the Flyers was about to get away and, and he was the one who chopped them down. Nice one on think, Barrett as well. I remember he had a good yeah. one on Barrett. Like he had a few big tackles. Like he yeah, was... and a couple of chops, I think that led to turnovers as well. I think Ty Burn, one, or two, one or two of Ty Burns were off the back of really, like for a guy who's six foot six, six foot seven, getting down low and chopping guys and you're online after three weeks of intense rugby. It, look, we all, like this is what we expect from James Ryan because we know how good he is and now he's delivering again. There is, reason to be optimistic that next season after a good long break and a good summer off he can get back to that level and what is he 25 i mean we're he's only getting going you know as long as this you know with the concussion issues you know he can get past that hopefully I and mean, we all hope he does and you know it's, it's a massive issue in the game you know as long as he can get through that he's a really important player and, and you think that the emergence of joe mccarthy and also signing jason jenkins albeit an unpopular signing might allow him to slim down a little bit and maybe move to that loose head lock role that maybe suits his body type better. He doesn't have to carry that extra weight to bolster the scrum on the right-hand side of the scrum. There might be scope for him to just focus on, you know, his strengths and his line at work and all that sort of stuff. And maybe his high volume carrying, you know, I don't think he's a tight, he's built to be a tight head lock. I think, you know, he, he's basically been made to do that because we don't produce players to that size. McCarthy's come along just at the right time. You know, he didn't get a he huge... Looks, he looks very good. He does. He does. Doesn't he? He looks he, like juicy in the contact, doesn't he? Like yeah. he he is like everything he hits looks like a you know it looks like it'd be sore. You know one of those heavy. You come across yeah. and we both have played rugby like those guys. You come across you go oof, like that one when he when when he gets the weight right like oof, the guys are moving like he's he's uh he's he's impressive. It's interesting. I mean I think it's a great point you make about the the ball handling. I think do you remember Ryan in that year? where he was on fire, you know, he, there were some beautiful plays, like even stuff off the cuff. Do you remember those ones where I think it was Luke McGran, him, where he passed and then he passed back into the nine. Do you remember that? Did it was Levy in the, I think it was against Saracens quarter. Yeah, but I, I, I have a feeling that James Ryan, I remember a few of them from him over different points of the season as well. Like he's well able to be that kind of player. And I think my worry with him was that I thought he was kind of trying a little bit too hard to get back there, which you can understand given, you know, the, the injuries and the confidence that he talks about. It kind of makes sense now, doesn't it? Um, but I think he needs to be the smart player because he is that kind of player. I think that's who he is. And, you and you know, that's, that's a good point you make about, look, does he shift back across? Does that then allow him to kind of have more of these, have more of an impact in the open? You know, is he a bit more prevalent? Is he getting his hands on the ball a bit more? You know, is he able to have a few more big impacts and tackles around the pitch? Because that's what we, I think that's what made him the player that he was. So that's an interesting space to watch. And as you said, there's a few emerging characters now. I mean, McCarthy is really promising, really promising. And it could be just what we need. And to have something, we, we talk a lot about, let's say, Leinster not bringing on guys from the bench. I think we look like we probably have a few guys now where you can bring them on at 55 minutes and say, right, lads, that is a serious shift you put in there. We really trust these guys to go. And to, to coin uh, Eddie Jones' expression, close out the game for us or come back and win the game for us. We don't need to stick with these guys. We have guys here who are very promising, who we trust in and who can make a big impact. So, and I think as well, what's probably good is that there's looks like there might be a few different types of player. If you then, then maybe is then, then probably is exactly the same as that game plan that I'm talking about that really suits us. We have a few guys, a few options there. We can, like McCarthy's a big bruiser, you know, he looks like a guy who's physical, Something like that, you know, if you're really struggling, you could bring him on and say, you know what, we're, the physical fight just isn't with us today. Let's let's think about this. Let's put Byrne back in six. He's a big man. Let's put, you know, you can go for a heavier pack. You can make a few changes if your scrum is struggling. So there's so much promise after this tour. And isn't it amazing what a couple of weeks can do after that first week? We're thinking, geez, like, did he even bring enough players to last this bloody thing? Yeah, like, what did you make of Andy Farrell's role? Obviously, Rudd, like, the, the squad size was a huge bone of contention, as Luke mentioned, after the first two matches when it looked like, you know, Michael Bent obviously was drafted in, in the end. But, you know, putting that aside, because that was, you know, we talked about that a fair bit. Like, how do you think, because it was his first tour as well. So, as a, as a head coach, I know he's been there with the Lions and was away with Ireland before, but this is his first time as a head coach. So, it was a new thing for him, too. How did you think he did over the course of the series from a coaching perspective? Very well. I mean, the 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 risks he took came off. I mean, adding the two Mary games was a risk. You know, it was a major risk. Having the you know having another game in the final week of the test. The Lions don't do that. The Lions have their second, their last game. Usually, their last midweek game is usually the week before the second test. 
So, you know, to, to have a game just after arriving in New Zealand when your squad is only, you know, that, you know not to relitigate that decision, but, I mean, if Keane Healy hadn't made that miracle recovery, Ireland were in awful trouble, you know, because Ed Byrne didn't arrive in, t- in time for the game and um, Lockman was concussed. So, I mean, I, if there, you know, in the end, you know, Porter had to go 80 anyway. So that risk didn't come off. Um, he should have brought more bodies. I think that's, that's clear at this point. Anyway, moving on from that, the way... He look, he's created this environment that you know he was there when Joe during the Joe Schmidt era. He, he is partly building on you know, in a large part, building on what Joe Schmidt built because a lot of the structures and discipline and the way the players behave was formed by Joe Schmidt. And even Paul O'Connell being on board brings a lot of the structure and discipline that Joe had. But what he's done is, I remember being at the first training session that, that they had in the Algarve after Joe had gone and, and Andy Farrell took over, and like, um. Lil Nas X was blaring out on the speakers and the players were laughing and joking. It just felt so different. Like it didn't feel like Ireland training at all. And, you know, they, they moved training away. This is just general stuff, but they moved training away from Carton House. So the hotel is now where you go to relax. You don't, they don't have meetings there. And once you're back at the hotel, you'd go to Abbas down to your training and you go back to the hotel, you're off. Now you hang around together, but you're not talking rugby. You're not looking at videos. And, you know, the fear was that once they got more relaxed, that they would lose that kind of, you know, incredible accuracy that they had under Schmidt. But they seemed to have really responded to him and to that. And even like I would have been, I was on off the ball. And I, was, I was critical of the fact that he didn't make enough changes between one test one and two, but he backed the players that he believes in. And they obviously played for him and they played, they responded to that really well. And even in test two, James Lowe didn't play well. He wasn't dropped. He was back to go again. And he was really, really good on Saturday. So even the decisions that I didn't agree with have proven to be really, really good decisions. My only fear is that he's borrowed a little bit from his future to get this present success that we still don't know about enough, enough about what's beneath Sexton. We still have those fears about, you know, numbers one and three, if, if Furlong and Porter go down, um, you know, that's, you know, look, New Zealand aren't the best scrum in the world. So like we'll know a lot more about our scrum after the, the South Africa game in, in November, but there's a little bit of fear there, but like this, this is a standalone. He didn't have a standalone success before this win, though. He, everything he'd done, Joe had done before. Now he's got a historic feat, you know, up there with Grand Slams, all of his own. That did, you know, no one can take away from him or his players. And he played a huge part in it because even like psychologically, to turn it around from being one down, an, an enormous success. And he deserves for a play, for a coach who was had calls from his head from legitimate places after, you know, at the end of twenty twenty to turn it around and now be a coach of the number one team, beating the All Blacks twice away from home is, is an incredible achievement and he deserves a lot of praise for it. Yeah, he's beaten the All Blacks, what, four? Three times as a head coach, four times as an assistant, twice with Ireland, once with England, once with the Lions, seven times in total is pretty impressive. Luke, what do you make of, I suppose, you know, Peter O'Mahony, he said it after November, Keith Earl said it during this tour, that they're saying it's like the best environment that they've ever even been in. Like, and it's, it's that's a really striking thing to say. And, and I don't know what it, exactly it says about the changes that Farrell has made, but what do you make of it? You've been in Ireland squads before. For them guys, you know pretty well to say that. What does that say to you? Yeah, it's very hurtful, Will. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, No, on a serious note, I think it says a huge amount about it. And like, I think what's really positive about it is that it means that something like a World Cup or a tour to New Zealand at the end of the year is probably not as mentally taxing as it might be in other environments. Um, And that says a huge amount. Um, You know, uh, you know, look, Goes without saying, like Joe was very, very tight on lots of things. And, he, and, and like, like I love playing under Joe, but he certainly wasn't for everyone. I don't think for like seven or eight weeks, you know, during a World Cup campaign, and then maybe two months training before. Like I suppose I got used to him maybe in Leinster every day. Whereas for other people, I think it was really difficult to work with. He was just so intense. Um, like I loved it because I felt like you were kind of getting the best of the best information all the time, and you're always put in the perfect position to really excel. But look, some people are not probably that that was probably a 50-50 split on, on who liked that and who didn't like that. Some people like to just go back to the hotel and, and just kind of not think about rugby. Um, you know, and I think there's certainly value in that. I think, you know, provided that the work is good enough and the meetings are good enough, you know, in your training and you get the right information um, and you feel confident off the back of that. I don't see why you shouldn't then be able to, you know, create two distinct areas and, you know, make sure that everyone gets on really well and has a good time when they're away touring. Because, you know, as much as you say you play for the coach, you kind of really play for, I never really played for a coach. I, I, I really played for the, the guys that, that, that were kind of next to me in the pitch. Um, 
you know, it would be my worst fear. Like I was never really embarrassed about a coach. Like, you know, like you worry about missing a tackle or something, letting the team down. Like that was always my biggest fear is like my guy, like doing me one-on-one and costing the team. Like that was, and I'd be, I die of embarrassment. Like I'd be, I'd be on Monday morning and I'd be like, it would be my worst fear, you know? And it, look, it happens to you throughout your career, you know, you make different mistakes, whatever it is, but it was something about missing a tackle on someone, my opposite guy, it used to kill me. I never really worried about Joe Schmidt giving out to me about them. You know, he could drop you, but I used to think they all think I'm a coward. Like they all think I'm useless or I haven't done my work on my opposite number. Um, and so that's why I think it's so important that, it's such a tight-knit group and i think that's probably why they were really able to dig themselves out of that hole they found themselves in when new zealand had that purple patch in the second half um i think things like that are really important the best lancer teams that i played on yeah it was really intense with joe a lot of the time and they were joe teams but the, the group got on brilliantly well and you really never wanted to let anyone down so i think that's a really important factor that it's not really tangible but it kind of is like it's you know if it's not there it's very it's pretty glaring i think um so yeah i think he's done a really good job and i think the, the players you know to it's 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 not um you know it i, I think it's no it, it's very obvious to me that they think it's important too like i think they must have said it to him and placed an importance on it and i think it's probably why it's at the forefront of their mind straight after a win is how, how much they enjoyed themselves and how much they enjoyed your company Rude, one interesting thing that you touched on before the third test in your newsletter, and it's obviously more relevant now because Ireland have gone and won and Andy Farrell's stock is even higher, is his, he's contracted up to the World Cup. Um, you know, it was around this time last cycle when Joe Schmidt announced he was leaving and, our, and the, the IRFU put in the plan to bring in Andy Farrell. Like, so what do you think the IRFU should do now? Should they, you know, should they decide to offer Andy Farrell a new contract with the risk of it going pear-shaped at the World Cup and then you don't know what you want to do then? Should they just wait and see? Can they put in a clause that says if we lose another quarter final, we, we can revisit it? Or, or what do you think they should well, look, look, we know there's a six, a six or nine-month break clause in every RFU contract. We know that from Razi Erasmus. We know that from uh, Johan Van Graan. We know that from Pat Lamb. So, I, like, I presume that, like, that's standard. So, you know, maybe this stuff doesn't really matter. But, yeah, like... Certainly talking to English colleagues, they see Farrell as the next England coach. So if Ireland think that this guy is the right guy for Ireland in the next World Cup, if, he's the be- if they think he's the best coach around and he's the best guy for the next World Cup cycle, then they should be offering him a contract now. And I'm sure, like, Nusifor was in the coach's box. I don't know what he was doing there, but he, he probably should be. Certainly, that's part of it. And we'll get on to, like, players who are not playing in provinces later. You know, that's, that's part of his role as well. But his... His biggest job now is to decide, you know, the future proofing of the national team. And if they think Farrell is like right now, his stock is incredibly high. You think a lot of clubs in France would fancy him. The Lions would definitely fancy him because he just won a series in New Zealand and he's done it with two midweek games as well. You know, he's been on two tours before, won a win, won a draw. But they definitely fancy either taking him out of his, 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 his national contract or just hiring him for two years and then he can do what he likes after yeah, 20, 2025. Um, the big talking point outside of Farrell is the fact that Ronan O'Gara is there and he's a European Cup winner he's an Irish legend and my sense is that he would be available after 2023 and, and that if Ireland came calling like he's been linked with you know if Farrell doesn't take the England job he's potentially a candidate for that job and you know we have an Englishman managing Ireland so why not an Irishman managing England It'd be very strange but you know like there is alternatives there's also O'Connell's there could they do a deal with him where he goes off and does the lines and O'Connell takes over during the lines here in the way Rob Howdy does, which means that O'Connell then has head coach experience for afterwards. There are all sorts of things at play. But I'm surprised it hasn't been talked about more, to be honest, because in Joe Schmidt's final, like in 2018, it was all what's going to happen. Like, you know, it was, that's all that was happening. The, the announcement wasn't made until after the November window. It was the day after he was named coach of the year, sexton one player of the year, and our one team of the year. Um Obviously, like from what I hear, Farrell knew he was going to be the next head coach when he was hired in 2016. So New is planning beyond this. And we know he's talked to O'Gara and he's, you know, he's in contact with him. So um, it's like Ireland have options. But I don't know, Luke, what do you think? Do you think they should be nailing Farrell down to a contract now beyond the World Cup? Or should they just go, no, let's see how it goes. If he, if he leaves, cool, we'll get, you know, O'Gara in or, bring, or promote O'Connell. Or do you, do you go, this guy is is the absolute business we got to keep them. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think, um, you know, it's really interesting to hear you talking about it and kind of the permutations. I think, you know, I think his son makes things a little complex for 
you know, I don't know how long he goes on at. Like he's still, like I don't know what age he is now, but he, I think he'll be at least to the middle of the next World Cup cycle. I think he's around England, isn't he? Like he was such he's a thirty-one young guy. now. Yeah, he's well, like, I, I read Owen Slot did a piece about it during the Six Nations. Yeah, so I think made that the, he made the point things. that he'd have to manage the end of Owen's career. Really, now, that's a really at, tricky thing. But it, also remember, he had a, such a bad experience with the RFU, and I still think there's a little bit of bad blood there. Um, and if you look at Ireland, like, you know, he's a Northern English guy. I think Ireland, we always get on great with them. People love him here. Even when things weren't going great, he was out in the community. Like, he's out meeting people. He's real salt of the earth. Like, he's no he's no airs of graces about him. I think Ireland is perfect for him. And I think he's got a group of players that he can take beyond the next World Cup. I don't think necessarily the RFU should be possibly look, but I think both parties should say... I think they'll come to the right the right decision, I think. And I, I think he stays beyond this World Cup. I think he's getting paid well. Um, look, is there a danger you get in the comfort zone? Yeah, there is. But I feel like he's a great candidate for that Lions job, as you say. And I think that spices things up for him a little bit because he gets to, you know, have that bit of continuity with players, um, you know, that he knows. There's plenty of resources here. There's plenty of good players. The system is catered brilliantly for a national coach here compared to other systems, I think. It's really catered for you to really flourish. And I think as well, there's enough challenges within the team. Like he gets to guide, you know, if you stay beyond, you get to guide the team beyond Sexton. You know, like that's a big, that's a huge challenge, I think. Um, and I think there's loads of other really exciting talent coming through in all positions. So I think he's got plenty of talent to work with. He has a few challenges in there, but he has the little bit of spice in the, in the little period where he could have that Lions gig and it keeps you fresh and you go, okay, well, I'm not just doing the same thing for eight years or whatever it is, you know, because I think if you start a cycle, you probably want to finish up one, don't you? But that's just my view on it. I, I think, it, as I said, just to, to tie off the key point, I think this suits him here. I think, you know, Dublin's a lovely place to live. You know, as I said, the setup is brilliant from here. Irish people and Northern English match made in heaven. There's so many of us up there. So it's a good connection. And, um, and I think he's, I think he's built up a lot of goodwill. Like, I mean, this is even before, um, you know, this series win, which puts him in, you know, the all time greats category now. Uh, you know, as you say, you can never take that away from him. It's just funny when you think about, you know, Eddie O'Sullivan getting a four year contract before World Cup when things all looked like they were going really well. That's what was keep me from being like definitely give him a new contract. Is you know we've been burned so many times before World Cups. Like what happens if we get to a quarter final and play New Zealand or France and play well and they and we lose? Are we still like oh he's the right man to take us on or would you be like oh is it time for a change? I don't know. It's it's a really interesting. Well, I think there's a people thing. Like you've got to be able to manage the personality here. Like I, like there's there's no way you can say like someone who's really skilled at this can say here look let's all be adults here. Like, you know, you need to tell us if you have another offer coming in because in our mind, we're going to wait for, we're going to wait just another little bit. Like we don't want to be one of those people who are just, you know, we we feel like you're a demand for the job, but let's all all be calm about this. I think this suits both parties going forward. You, You can sell this thing to him. I think you can sell this project to him beyond this without offering him some crazy, like Eddie O'Sullivan kind of, con- you know, five-year contract. So I don't think you have to do that. I think you can, the merits of this thing, if you're, you know, a logical person, I think this is a great place for him to continue to flourish. And he's got like some great coaching staff. I, there might even be some movement there. He gets to train someone else in. I think there's loads of interesting things within this job for him. And also, I think most importantly, he can be really successful with this team. Um, he already has been. Yeah, like because the RFU are in a good position, as you said, in the sense that they do have options. It's not as if Farrell is the only live candidate or viable candidate. They have to nail him down. Like they, as you said, there are other options with such a little layer of intrigue. Like, would you expect movement on this in the in the short to medium term? No, because I think Farrell keeps his cards pretty close to his chest, and even if there's an agreement in place, he'd be. I don't think he'd be rushing out there to make. And in fairness, where anyone was talking about this, really, I haven't heard it discussed anywhere else. Which I, I you know, as I said, I find strange. So it's not really a. It's not like the RFU, and I, like. You know, maybe if they lose, I don't know. If there's a bit of bad news, they might need to get a good bit of good news out there. They they'll uh, they'll throw it out. But uh, <laughs> if they need to change the narrative, they're holding the back pocket. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but not like I don't expect it to be um, announced or confirmed anytime soon. Again, they did it in November after the November window in 2018. Didn't work out. But Joe was around a lot more, a lot longer than that um, at that point. And that's that's another thing they have to learn from. I mean. Joe was incredibly successful until he wasn't. And, and you know, coaches have shelf lives. Even the best coaches have shelf lives. Only the greatest reinvent themselves over and over again. Now, Farrell does seem to have a very 
humane side that you know he seems to be very empathetic and and look he's lived his entire adult life in dressing rooms which I think helps him an awful lot like he he's been there and done it with all of them you know he's uh, you know as as much as all of them they respect him for what he did on the pitch as well as what he does does as a coach so um you know I don't think there will be movement but you know it's just not a massive talking point at the moment and I think it will grow as things go on but you know like I said I didn't even mention Leo Cullen Stuart Lancaster is there obviously Rassinger sniffing around there so that's another talking point over the summer to keep an eye on you know like if if he's he'd be a massive lost Irish rugby because he basically repairs the Leinster players to play for Ireland because the game plans are so similar you know so there's there's a lot of moving parts going on at the moment you know could he be part of the setup you know beyond then could he be the next England coach there, there are things that will unfold like it's, it's always the moving time is after a World Cup but his stock has never been higher um, he's always been respected but to go and do what Ireland have done um, considering that this is you know a really good Irish team but it's probably not the golden generation of players that you know that we had in the past there's certainly not household names in other countries I don't think it's it's a really impressive achievement and and one that he can um, you know it's a bargaining chip for him at the end of the day it's a professional sport when you start going through the names, you're like, ooh, this is actually a proper juicy talking point, isn't it? <laughs> I was like, do you know what? Like, we hadn't even spoken about Lancaster. Like, Jesus, yeah. Sorry. W- great question, Will. Just too late in the show. <laughs> yeah. We have to talk about something else. But, like, it is. The permutations, like, you're right. There really is some good options there. Like, you're not, like, you wouldn't be completely panicking, I don't think, if, um, no, like, if, if he was, if he was to move on. But, like, Jesus, I mean, he's such a strong position at the moment, isn't he? Well, like, Ron, is it feasible to, to, Delay it until the World Cup is done. Well, it's risky. It's risky because you, you know they could win. But even if he wins the World Cup, is he then the right man to lead the next cycle? Because he's achieved the ultimate. I mean, he might want to walk away then. You know, so if he gets to a semi final, he'd feel like you know, like the permutations. It's impossible. Oh, he, has to, he has to do well at a World Cup, but not too well. That's what you're saying. Yeah? So that's, well, that's like a no, but like once he's won, <laughs> like you know, it's it. Look, I think what the the big thing will be is if England make a play for him in around November or December this year, or they may have already made a play for him, which is Conor O'Shea's job, ironically. And um, like there, Eddie Jones is definitely finishing at the end of the, 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 after the next World Cup. So there's a vacancy there. So if England make a play, the Lions are probably planning their coaching staff for 2025 in Australia as well. So they're, they're going to make a play. So all these parts are already moving. Um, so if he comes to them and say, look, England have offered me this, what do you think beyond the World Cup? They have to have an answer for them. Do they see him as the guy to lead them regardless of what happens? But, you know, I think it's a really, really difficult thing for David Nusifor to manage. This four-year cycle is very tough, you know. Maybe you should just have one coach for one cycle and then you get a new coach for the next cycle and you just keep moving it because, you know, we've all, like all reigns end, you know, coaches very rarely go out in their own terms. So, it's but if like, can Andy Farrell go lead Ireland to the World Cup knowing he's taking over as England coach the next day? You know that that's that's a crazy scenario as well. So I mean, as I talk about it, I'm just it's it's becoming more and more ludicrous. But maybe maybe the Lions is the perfect bridging point for him that he goes, look, I've always dreamed of coaching the Lions. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to coach the Lions, and in 2025 he's then available after the Lions if someone's not going well. Maybe he goes into club coaching for a while. Like look, he's still a young enough man as well. He's He's got a long time left in coaching and he's already hitting a very high bar at a very high level. So um, it's I think it's a really big watch the space area. I don't have the answers, um, but there's a lot of moving parts and it's an inter- increasingly international field. You know, you've an Irishman, sorry, an Englishman coaching Ireland. You've Sean Edwards involved in France. You've Dave Rennie over Australia. You know, the big jobs are are are. Are, are not necessarily held by people from those countries and it's it's becoming more fluid you know and you know there's huge money in japan you could fancy a, a couple of years over there and you know like I, I i'm just throwing things out now but look eddie jones is leaving that's what we know and he's going to be high up their list and there will be a phone call made at some stage and what a lot will depend on what he tells the orifice yeah i'm already looking forward to how much this is going to dominate the next while uh it doesn't actually seem that long ago since we were talking about joe schmidt's future then I realize it's been a global pandemic in the meantime, and it does feel uh, slightly longer. Okay, just as we kind of move towards the end loop. So what's on the to-do list now? Ireland break for the summer. It's been an unbelievably successful couple of weeks, but now we're entering into the year of years. So that for her coming in the autumn, then there's a Six Nations, and then we're building towards the World Cup. So if you're just looking at things, yeah, on the to-do list, uh, one or two areas that there is a bit of room for improvement that can take Ireland even further to the next level. I think you've got to look at what can scupper you at this stage. So I think you know the team can play well. They can compete with the best teams. What scuppers you? Um, Sexton, you know, could scupper you, you know, if he gets, you know, a long-term injury or something like that. Um, 
I think they really need to think about what they're doing with Frawley. That's that's really that'll be the, the number one priority with me because um not to be too I I I I didn't I just I'm still stuck on the Carberry at 10 thing. I, I don't think he's the answer at 10. Uh I think that was pretty evident, I thought. Um and um yeah, I, I just I think Frawley's our, our second best guy. Um and I think um, you know, the props, I think uh, Keen Healy, I, I actually think Keen Healy actually he looked really good. Um in that, uh, you know, when we saw him there, I know he got injured a bit in, in that first game, but I actually think when he plays rugby, his challenge is going to be getting rugby behind Porter all year and Byrne being there as well. Um, you know, they're both excellent in Leinster, so that's a real challenge for him. Um, but I think he's still our best guy. And in fairness, I heard a lot of talk about him. He's a lot of miles on the clock, but he's still 34. You can't remember that. Like, that's pretty young for a prop. So I think he actually needs to play some rugby. Um, but the props, you know, figuring out who's behind them, I think is very important. I think we're very strong at hooker, uh, which is another key position. And um, I don't really see any any issues anywhere else, if I'm being honest. Maybe maybe who plays full back if Keenan goes down? I think we're setting the centers and 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 uh, sorry, I, I've it's I've obviously deliberately I haven't thought of anything else other than the team. I, th- I presume you're asking about the team, like what's what what are the t- the to do lists? I, I would say there that that's the key one. That slot behind ten is still the big issue for the team. Uh, I think there's enough in the other positions and we're well set. I think they need to figure out how they get Frawley playing week in, week out at 10. Yeah, Rod, what about you? Anything you want to jump in on? Yeah, I think there's some hard conversations that have to be had with the provincial management um, around a couple of players and Frawley's number one. I mean, he was so good in that second Mary game. I thought he was quite composed in the first one. He made mistakes because right. he hadn't played there at all, you know, so... Like, Pat got milled. He was brilliant. Pat, Pat got milled and he still did a lot right. Very you know, composed. like he's... Yeah. yeah, and he looks like he he looks like an international ten, hmm. and whether that's strong you know, too, look, strong didn't miss any tackles. No like tackles Leicester Tigers, looks. Leicester Tigers came in for Osborne this year, and I'd say our I'd say Nusifor would have happily drove drove him to the airport because he's a massive like he's a roadblock. Leicester trust him, Ireland don't, and he's he's a massive issue for for Andy Farrell because Andy Farrell clearly doesn't want to pick him, but he's getting all the minutes when Johnny Sexton isn't there, and like you know that Leinster can point to Harry and go, look, he's not fit. He's never fit, you know, which is really unfortunate for like a guy who's clearly talented, but we don't see enough of him. And Frawley's been playing 12 and you've got to get him into a 10 jersey somewhere. And if that's not at Leinster, you've got to find a way. Like he's better than Billy Burns. Get him up to Ulster. If that's like, if your system works and you're properly aligned, you've got to be going to him. And this is what happened at the same point of the world. It was a bit earlier. Like he went, like Joey moved to Munster in 28, in what was it? May 2018, just before the summer tour. Um, after that infamous meeting in uh, in a coffee shop in Milltown with Joe, um, which but Joe had nothing to do with that move, um, but you know, it was Joey's Joey's own, own move himself. But like these things should be happening. I'm sure Nusifora has tried to move Frawley. Like I, I, they can't be not having that conversation. You know, could he? Could they get him a move abroad for a year where they can they can get him games and then bring him back in for the World Cup preseason? Like like it, it, desperate times come call for desperate measures. You know, could he go to the Pro D2 or the Championship and just get minutes at 10? Because that's what he needs. He needs to play 10 every week. I think he needs to play top class if he's going, though, Rudd. So he needs yeah, to play. Yeah, prob- probably and does, he's good but... enough to do it. Sorry, he definitely... Like, yeah. You heard Raj talking about him. Raj, I, I was I was slagging Raj because uh, I heard him say, oh, I tried to get him on News Talk. And I was like, did you actually listen to me? He didn't respond now. <laughs> Typical Raj. But I sent him... I, I, I looked at the last message I sent him and it was like, you know, you need to get on this Frawley guy. I'm telling you, like he could be brilliant uh, under your stewardship. It was one of that. Like I hadn't spoken to him uh, before that, but um, Jesus, like he needs to play top class, and he's good enough to do it. I, I, I don't know. But like it's up to him as well. Like, he, like he's no got to go into Leinster. He's got to go into Leinster preseason and just be a killer. He's got to just look at Ross Byrne. Go, I got to be better than him at every moment of every training session of every game. He's got to get up the like it, it. It is incumbent on these guys to take on Sexton and, and and not just be a number two. Like and like certainly a Leinster, he's got to get into that number two slot. Like you know, he showed that he could be better than Ross Byrne over the last couple of weeks. And he, it's him. Um, Jeremy Lockman looked really good in that second Mary game. He's behind Josh Witcherly and Dave Kilcoyne at Munster. He's got to get himself up the ranks. Kieran Treadwell has been excellent. He's third choice at Ulster. He's got to be starting games. Um, so you know it, it has happened in Leinster that Jameson Gibson Park got promoted by Ireland and ended up being Leinster's first choice scrum half. So it's not unprecedented that players have come back from Ireland and their stock has risen. Um, that's a big thing. I think the scrums re- remains a massive work in progress, and we won't know until they play South Africa and France and England as well um, how how much they fix there. Because New Zealand, for all that they were dominant in the first test, and Ireland evolved and learned. 
they're not a you know they're not a top ranked uh, front row. They're not top ranked uh, scrum. I, I would love to hear something interesting on that, Rory, from my old man, uh, weirdly, who was a tight head prop. Uh, but he was saying that he thought it was the first time he'd ever seen two. Irish props that were so much better than their counterparts in the loose and he thought the two New Zealand props were way better in the tight and the scrum and he said it was the first time he could ever remember that this is actually from November uh, that he said that I haven't I must I must ask him what he thinks again but that's that, that was interesting to hear that so maybe there is maybe that actually isn't that that bad a scrum and remember Sheen's still a young guy in there so maybe it's not a it's not a bad scrum by any manner of means, but it's not but it's as good as South bit, Africa. We're talking about the time. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if we're relying on Furlong and Porter to go 60, 70 minutes and South Africa are bringing on um Kitchoff, Marks, and Malherbe after f- fifty minutes, look, we'll talk about this in November, but it's it's that's where like that is where I With think six hundred kilos pushing behind them. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, that's yeah. that's where like I think Ireland's game plan gives them a chance against anyone, but that scrum, we've seen it. For Leinster, we saw for Munster, we've seen it in the England game. It didn't cost them against England, but they got destroyed in the scrum and it saps everything from your game. That's where my concern is with this Irish team. And I think they still need to be, like they can't just go come home from this. Like the players go off and enjoy themselves. It's an incredible achievement. But when they come back in, they can't just think they're the kings of the world. They've got to go, right, we've done this, but we still have these things to go. And that's that's the that's the key to this because a great achievement as it was and we it should be enjoyed and it should be called out for achievement it was, you still have big games to come, big achievements to come. And, and if you want to be considered a great team, you've got to keep doing those things, unfair as that is. And what a season we have to come. The World Cup at the end of it, but plenty of intrigue between now and then, between, you know, Leinster trying to get back to winning the Champions Cup, Munster and their new coaching staff, Ulster and Connacht trying to take the next step. South Africa in November at Six Nations, and then quite about 15 months from now, a World Cup in France. But for now, another season in the books. Luke, Rudd, thanks so much for joining me. Cheers, guys. Thanks so much to all our listeners. Um, you know, all the comments, all the feedback, uh, positive and negative, uh, always welcome. And, you know, we, we really appreciate, uh, you know, uh, our, our listeners. So thanks very much for, for tuning in for the season. I can't believe another one's down, Will. Um, so uh, six ho- seasons, I think. Six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing stuff. L5, so, sorry. Not, not quite not quite Joe Schmidt's uh, tenure. <laughs> but no, look, it's been a, it's been great fun. Lots of interesting talking points. And as I said, the interactions with the support uh, and the support we get from our listeners, um, you know, we, we, we couldn't do it without you guys. So, yeah, what, what a year it's been. And uh, so much to look forward to with the World Cup to top things off next season. So, yeah, while I'm looking forward to a break, can't wait to get stuck into the new season already. Those are talking points. That's all we have time for this season on the left wing. Thank you so much to everyone who's listened over the last eight or nine months or so. We will be back next season with another host of podcasts. But in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Spotify or listen on independent.ie. So until next year, thanks for listening and goodbye. This is an Irish independent podcast.